There are an estimated 50,000 Latinas living with HIV in the United States today. In 2020, there were 5,450 new HIV infections in women. Confessions is a podcast that follows the lives of six women who share their journeys. The women in this podcast courageously share their stories and the pain they've endured, raising awareness and breaking down barriers. Their voices are powerful and necessary in promoting empathy. Let's listen and learn from their experiences. I was born in Echo Park and raised in the San Fernando Valley. I have an older brother and a younger sister. My father, he raised us. My mom was not in the picture. My parents separated when I was seven years old. My mom left. She left with somebody else. And it was very hard for my dad to take care of us. So I became basically like the mom of the house and took care of my, my, my older brother and my younger sister. I grew up in the late 90s, um, early 2000s. It was very hectic during that time. I grew up in a low-income neighborhood, gang-infested, drug-infested, with a one-parent household. My dad was working all the time. He was really never there. So I had to kind of do everything myself or... I don't know how I used to wake up by myself and go to school and just do all those things for myself, but it it was just done. To me, anything that was outside of home was good. When I was young, I would ask my dad to be like in basketball and I wanted to play the violin and I wanted to do a lot of stuff, but it was always no. I started learning very quickly how to like maneuver my way around say like no. So I started like forging his signature, like for stuff for, like field trips or like putting myself in basketball. I changed my whole track from school because back in the day there was like tracks, A, B, and C. So I was a C track and I changed myself to A track so I can play the violin. Elementary was a little hard for me. But once I got to middle school, I was a bad, like a bad kid like a troubled youth. My mom wasn't around, so I looked for other things to kind of compensate, you know, my mother's absence and my father's. I was 12 when I started hanging out in a gang. I started selling weed when I was 12. I looked for guidance elsewhere and it just led me to the streets. I didn't go to high school. I actually went to high school the ninth grade for maybe two weeks and I got kicked out. I'm not a very, I can sit there and learn kind of person. And I'm really smart. I just can't sit there and just receive instruction. I started going to juvenile hall when I was, I think, 15. I had the opportunity to take my GED when I was 16 years old. So while being incarcerated in a youth camp, I was in and out, but the longest I was incarcerated for was about nine months. I was incarcerated because of the weed I was selling. I got caught in school selling weed. So I was 16, I got out when I was almost 17. And I did it really because I didn't want to go to school. I finished eighth grade, I did two weeks of high school, and then I went into a probation school. And that's where I was for like ninth grade and 10th grade. Because it was like at my pace. So I could just do all the work, turn it in, I didn't have to worry about sitting in class and listening to stuff. I did my GED. Uh, at 16, at 17, I got out, 
and I just went to go live with a friend of mine. I, I didn't want to be home. So I went to go live with a friend of mine. We were, were using drugs. I was, you know, using meth at that time. And we, and drinking and partying and doing all those things. So just very risky behavior. At that time, like, I loved my dad. And I would see him struggle. And I would see him, like, his abuse be, like, a loving kind of thing towards me. So he would be really angry at me and, like, you know, hit me and tell me. And then he would be like, oh, porque yo te quiero. You know, es porque yo te quiero. You know, oh, I love you. And so I kind of started making that in my head that, you know, he was treating me that way because he loved me. Um, now I see it, I don't see it as love. I really see it as abuse. I really think he had mental health problems and the separation with my mother caused a lot of those issues to kind of him taking it out on myself and my brother. We all have a different understanding of how we grew up. We all went through the same things, but my brother was treated differently. I was treated differently, and my sister was definitely treated differently because she was little. I don't think I have a positive person I looked up to. I knew I wanted to do better. I just didn't know how. So my father passed away in 2006. I, I really don't talk about my dad a lot. Um, like, at all. I know that, uh, I have an older brother from my, my dad's first marriage. And he says, no, well, we have to talk about my dad because it's like keeping his memory alive. But I don't really talk about my dad. Um, I don't think I've grieved his death. And it's been 17 years. There's so much things that I would want him to see now. I felt like I was a bad daughter. But I also feel like he treated me very badly, and I didn't deserve it. There's a lot of things I want to tell him that I didn't get to. I really kind of like long for an apology from him because I feel like he treated me very badly for no reason or for my mother's mistakes, and it was not my fault. When my father passed away, I was 19 years old, and I was six weeks pregnant. That's actually when I found out about my diagnosis. It was very hectic. It was all over the place. I know that I had gone to like just a regular little clinic on Van Nuys Boulevard to get a pregnancy test and, you know, they confirmed pregnancy. They gave me a, a appointment for an ultrasound. They took blood or whatever. They said I was like six weeks pregnant. I left. My dad had been already in the hospital for some months. We were staying in, in this, what you call a trap house, like where like the whole neighborhood stays out or they sell drugs from. Me and my siblings were staying there because we didn't have anywhere to go. And I gave the phone number from there. I used to take care of an a old lady that she was the owner of the home. And I was doing like caregiving. And so I would stay there. And they kept calling the house and the people answering the phone kept telling me, hey, they called you, they called you. And I was like, well, who's calling me? And um, I think it was a, the day after my dad passed away that I found out I was positive. The lady that called me from the clinic, she kept, like, she was very adamant of, like, you need to come into the clinic, we have to have a conversation. And I said, well, I don't have time for the clinic right now. Like, my dad just died. 
And she's like, no, you don't understand. Like, you really need to come. And I remember I was coming out of the cemetery and we were crossing the street. And she's like, you you don't understand. Like, you, it's really important that you need to come. And I was like, well, what do you want? Like, I was upset already. And I was like, what do you want? Like, And I just blurted out. I was like, what? Like, I have AIDS or something? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, what? And she was like, yes, your test came back positive for HIV. I don't remember much after that. I started crying, and I, I think I threw myself on the floor. I was on the sidewalk. My mom was there, and she just kept yelling. She was like, what? what? What's happening? And I didn't want to tell her. And then I, I yelled out, like, they said I have AIDS. Like, I have HIV. I think we were all crying, like, on the floor. I don't remember much. I didn't follow up right away. I just, you know, I had to deal with my dad's death and being an addict as well and pregnant. So I didn't follow up too much right after that. I just kind of forgot about it at the moment. Uh, my husband wasn't there. Well, he wasn't my husband. He was my boyfriend at the time, but he was in jail. And so, so many things started going through my head. Like, oh my God, like he gave it to me. Like what happened and just so many things. I was upset, I was angry. I was sad. I was just, I didn't know what to think. Yeah, I think I went back to using. I went back to using being pregnant. I was using because I didn't know how to how to grieve or how to deal with, you know, the emotions of me uh, being positive and just my dad passing away. Just, there was too much stuff going on that I just, I couldn't deal with. And then my husband got out of jail. He was only in the jail for like two weeks, I think. And I couldn't tell him like I wanted to tell him and I didn't my relationship with um, him had been very abusive and I know that prior to that he had given me an STD while I was pregnant so I automatically assumed he gave it to me I didn't want to tell him I was afraid I was scared that he was going to say stuff to me or just you know, flip out. So I finally, like, just went out and told him. And he was like, okay, well, it's okay. He didn't say much. I don't know if he understood the seriousness of the situation. The whole time I thought it was, you know, I thought it was him. And we just left it at that. I didn't get treatment right away. Um, I was six months pregnant. I went to jail. And I was treated there. You know, and I think that's what helped me a lot to receive the treatment because I'm really bad at, you know, taking care of myself sometimes. That being in jail actually helped me continue my treatment, my HIV treatment. And um, I eventually had my daughter, not in jail, but, you know, while in being incarcerated. And it was like a big deal when my, my mother had to go pick her up. She had to pick her up from the hospital. I didn't really get to see the baby. They just took her. I was just there for one day. Like, I had her, and the next day I was back in jail. They wouldn't release the baby to my mom unless she had the medication for her because she had to be on the AZT. My mom had to drive around different cities to look for the medication to be able to take the baby home. It was really hard. 
I was fighting my case. I remember that. I was fighting my case. And then after that, I was like, I don't want to fight it anymore. I'll just take the time and I want to get out. And I did. After three months, I got out. She was three months old. It was a struggle taking her to the doctor. Going through that made me feel like it was my fault that she had to be like get her blood drawn and take that nasty medicine. And it was bad. When I get incarcerated, you know, they do the HIV test as well. They do all the SCD tests. They do like a whole physical when you're incarcerated. So all of that had came back negative. So in the time span of when I was with my husband and I became positive, I had not been with any other person sexually. So to me, it was my husband in my head. So when I did tell him, he did not want to get tested. In my head, I was like, okay, he doesn't want to get tested. Why? Why doesn't he want to get tested? It's very important that, you know, I say I had not been with nobody else but him since the time I had gotten out of jail, which was when I was 16, going to be 17 years old. You know, time passes by, he gets tested, and he's negative. So I'm tripping out now, like, okay, well, then what the heck happened? Like, where did I get it from? Because I had not been with nobody. I know that a lot of stigma comes up, like, oh, well, you're sleeping around. You know, that's why you get it or that's why you got it. And it it was not the case with me. I was really confused when he was negative. I thought back to how did I expose myself or what happened? So I was a drug user. I didn't do anything with needles. So that was out of the question. But I was a, a meth addict. And I recall this one time. It was a group of us getting tattoos. I had a friend that had passed away a few years earlier, and we're all high on drugs. And this guy was doing tattoos. He was like, well, you guys, you know, you guys go and get your needles. That way they're new or whatever. So everybody, like, brought their own needle. He's tattooing everybody. He brought the ink to the tattoo party we were having, and... Thinking back, I was like, well, what happened? Like something had to happen for me to, you know, become positive. And I remember like I saw him once like pouring the ink he was using to tattoo one person. He would pour back into the little container and just reuse that ink. So this ink was contaminated with other people's blood. I thought back and I was like, well, that's the only other explanation for me of you know, being exposed to HIV. There's no other way. Like, I didn't use needles. I didn't have any other, I mean, besides maybe fighting and, and you know, something like that. But that was, to me, the only other explanation was we a bunch of us got tattoos. This ink was contaminated. You know, yes, we all knew, used new needles, but the ink had, you know, other people's blood in it. You know, my mom kind of freaked out. She kind of saw me like I was disabled. You know, I didn't feel disabled, so I didn't want to be treated that way. But I do know that later on, I found out she told one of my tias, and I was super freaking upset at her. Like, I didn't talk to her for I don't know how long, because I told her, like, how dare you, like, tell people what I'm going through? Like, these people haven't even been there for me. You know, we struggled so much, and, like, I don't even know these people. Like, yeah, we grew up, like, here and there with them, but, like, why would you even tell them my business? At that time, I think I still had a lot of resentment towards her. My dad had just passed away, and a lot of it was like, it's probably your fault, you know, that my dad died. So we really didn't talk. I really was just talking to her because I needed somewhere to go. It was hard because I didn't want to be there. I didn't have nowhere else to go. So I kind of brushed it off or whatever, like the stuff she used to say or 
I don't know. I just hated her in silence, basically. And my relationship with her was horrible. Like, we would fight all the time. She would throw stuff in my face. It was really bad. I know she called the cops on me one time. I think my daughter was maybe a year old. We we got into an altercation. It was like a physical altercation or whatever. And then she called the police and told them that I was purposely trying to give her HIV. I went to jail because she said that I spit on her and that I had purposely like did it to give her HIV. And it was the day that that day I told her, you know, you always you always here for your kids. But every time I have to say something like it, I'm never imported. And I know that that day the police came and that day I had tried to tell her, you know, that I was sexually abused and she didn't want to listen. And I was freaking angry because I told her it was her fault. It was her fault because I wouldn't have gone through all of that if she wouldn't have left. That's why I never wanted to be home. I'd just rather be out in the street. I know that the people I used to hang out with knew I was a kid. I was only, you know, 14, 15 years old, and I didn't know any better. To me, everything else was better than being home. And when I told my mom, you know, that I was sexually abused, she's like, no, this is not true. And I was like, well, how are you going to say it's not true? Like, you weren't there. And I know she comes from a background that she, you know, went through similar things. And so for her not to believe me was really the bottom of the barrel, basically. And so we got into a physical altercation and, you know, she threw it in my face that I was sick and made me go to jail because supposedly I was trying to give her HIV, which wasn't the case. I was just upset. Uh, so I went to jail. I I got out after a few, I don't know, if, I don't know how long I was there, maybe a few days. And then I had to do DV and all kinds of stuff because of it. And after that, I kind of made it my mission to leave her home. I just didn't go back. I left and I used to get CalWORKs assistance. And I went and found myself, a, I rented a room in stranger's home and took my kid and just left. I left and I paid my rent with um, the CalWORKs that I received, which was like 500. I, I, was, I think I received like 580 something and my rent was 550. So literally, I had $20 left over for, like, food and diapers and stuff like that. But I would hit the food banks, like, whatever it took, just so I wouldn't have to go back to her house. Then she kind of started coming around and helping me, you know, here and there with diapers and stuff. And it's been hard. Like, our relationship hasn't always been good. I know that one time I went into her house and destroyed all her stuff. I was so bad. I was so mad at her. I just went and she had, like, a huge, like, Virgen de Guadalupe statue thing and I just freaking threw everything on the floor I broke all her perfumes I was like well that's what you get I I don't think I had matured enough at that time where I was just I hated her and I didn't want to have nothing to do with her so our relationship's always been kind of estranged like it's just not a good now it's different and I think a lot of it is because I try really hard to forgive and I I don't blame her anymore I'm married to my boyfriend so he's not my husband we actually just had a 10-year anniversary that I've been married to him but we've been together for almost 20 years I started going to church about 12 years ago it came from my husband being in jail and get coming out and saying you know he wanted to do better which I didn't believe him because you know it was it was non-stop going back to jail but he suggested we go to church 
And I did. I didn't like it much, but I felt some kind of relief when I would go. And I started going to church and just learning more about forgiveness and just understanding that sometimes it's out of our power, like of things that happen to us. So I know my mom grew up with a lot of trauma. So it's kind of like a little chain that was kind of going on, right? I just don't want to live like that. I was tired of just hating and just like, it took so much energy for me to like not like her and hate her and just like they having paz, no me hables kind of situation where I, I got tired of it. So I have five kids, so I've had no trouble do <laughs> with having children. I thank God all my kids are negative. I've gone to school, I've educated myself. Professionally and personally, like I've received education in regards to my diagnosis and the community. Um, I currently am a case manager. I've been a case manager almost 10 years. I've worked myself up. It's a struggle because it's the, the type of work that I do. I work with the homeless population as well as like in my community. And I see a lot of things and I have to remember to take care of myself and things like that. But definitely I am in a place where I never thought I would be. And first, that's one of the reasons why I want, would want my dad to have a chance to come and see that I'm not that person he used to say I was. You know, I want him to see that I've accomplished lots of things. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow us. This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Family AIDS Network in collaboration with The Women Together and produced by Mejia.tv.